Families leave with two, four, six, eight bags of groceries. Giant gave $60,000. Convoy of Hope brought in four tractor trailers. Maryland Food Bank also came with a truck of turkeys and ribs. Uh, there were 125,000 pounds of food distributed. It was an amazing day. You know, Jesus said, give them something to eat, and we did. People driving away were saying, you know, God bless you all for doing this. I saw Asians. I saw African Americans. I saw Hispanics, Caucasians being blessed and blessing others. There was a foot washing tent, true to our tradition, with 1,200 pairs of shoes being given away. I saw uh, Brenda Rhoda, who's over our community uh, outreach. I saw Verlin Mahaffey on staff with us, our administrative um, coordinator of discipleship. I saw Mike and Margie Brubaker just praying their heart out with people in the prayer tent. This amazing thing is people lined up before they received their food to ask for prayer. And the number one prayer request I heard, I want you to hear this, from the people I prayed with was this. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough few years. But I really want to work and provide for my family. But I can't find work. I need to be trained. So if you have an opportunity to train somebody or to employ somebody, I heard this conversation last night with college students, high school students. It's so hard to find work. I want to work. I just can't find a job. So you have an opportunity. Think about training somebody. Think about including them because there's a lot of people looking for work. Would you open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 29? We're talking about discipleship. And this morning we're talking about boundaries. Boundaries as it relates to discipleship. And so Jesus was talking to a man who was a lawyer, an expert in the law. And he asked the question to Jesus. If you need a Bible, there's one for you. It'll help you follow the text. Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, Well, he fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous road, and I myself, like you, have also been on dangerous roads. I remember one road I was on the Baja Peninsula of Mexico, Route 1, late at night, known for its banditos that come out and hijack your car known for its cows that mosey out on the road and donkeys and burrows. And there we were driving late at night, just sailing along. Well, Jerusalem is about 2,700 feet. Jericho is below sea level, so it's a descent of about 3,000 feet down to Jericho. And Jericho was this man's destination. He had been in Jerusalem, perhaps for a feast, perhaps to see his family, but now he was coming home to Jericho. But something happened to the man before he made it home. He fell into the hands of robbers. He got jumped. Like snakes lying in the grass, the thieves pounced on him, robbing him of his possessions, stripping him of his clothes, beating him senseless, and leaving him half dead. There was violence then. There's violence also now. There's violence in our homes, and there's violence in our video games. There's violence in our movies. There's violence in our schools, and there's violence in our streets. We see homeless people getting beat up. We legislate against bullying in our schools. We rate the degree of violence in a video, and we assign a rating to our movies according to the amount of violence and sex in them. A teacher was telling me this week 
that she is surprised in dealing with families. In her school, there are gangs and the violence in her schools. The fathers are teaching their sons to solve their conflicts with their fists and not resolve them with their words. This man was not in good shape. He was beat up. And let's call the first group of people in the story the beat-em-ups. They came to beat up this man. They came to violate his boundaries. He was simply walking along the road, minding his own business. When these people came out of the shadows and jumped him, and then took away his possessions, his clothes, and left him there lying, bleeding beside the road. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed over by the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The first person to encounter him on the road was a Jewish priest. The priest stands between the people and God. Professionally, the priest hears the cries of the people and makes intercession for them and cries out to God on behalf of the people. The priest was on the same road as the wounded man. Now, it's easy enough to make up excuses for the priest as to why he ignored the man. When he saw the shadowy figure on the side of the road, he could have been saying, I've been serving God all week long. (laughs) I'm off duty. He could have said, there may be still bandits lying in the shadow somewhere. Why take the chance? Why get involved? It wasn't my fault, after all, the man was jumped. We don't know what he was thinking or feeling, but we can put ourselves in his position and say that we at times ourselves avoid getting involved. I have been this priest. I have been walking down this path. I have seen a need of someone in front of me and turned in another direction. One day, Josh, my son, who's 16, who's off OB this summer, was driving the car. In fact, I said to Josh about 5.30 on a Monday evening, Josh, you want to take a drive and go by Subway? And Josh loves Subway and he's learning to drive. It was his second time behind the wheel. He said, sure, Dad. So I flipped in the keys and Josh started to drive the car and we came through our neighborhood. And we come out of our neighborhood, there's a dangerous intersection at Beach Tree and 40 Alternate. If you're coming out in the morning, the traffic coming from west to east, from the highs from Middletown, has 40 or 50 cars. You sometimes have to wait there for a while. And if you're at our time of day, the traffic coming from the east to west over Braddock Mountain is also very intense. And there isn't a turning lane. What happens is when you're going to stop to turn, you have to stop in your lane and pray to God the people behind you see you and hit the brakes. So Josh and I were sitting there at the intersection, and the traffic was whizzing by on either side, and an elderly woman came to stop right in front of us. There was a 16-year-old behind her who was not paying much attention to the traffic. He was talking to his friends. And he came over the hill at 50 miles an hour and rammed her. Now there were glass everywhere. There was metal, airbags deployed, and people slunk in their cars. And my first thought was, what should we do? Are the people okay? So I dialed 911 and made a report of the accident, taking about a minute or two. And what I saw then unfold in front of me was a beautiful illustration to me of Good Samaritans. There were off-duty police officers and off-duty volunteer firemen 
who stopped at the scene. There was one who began directing traffic, one who called up the, um, the uh, tow trucks and the EMTs, one that was attending to the people. Before long, there was the glass that was being swept up. And I saw one after another examples of people showing love to one another, getting involved. The first one on the scene was the priest, but he chose not to get involved. I'm not saying that we have an obligation to get involved with every need we see, we encounter. Some have your name on them, some do not. But I wonder what our lives would be like if we simply became attuned to the needs we see around us. We slowed our pace down a bit and opened our eyes to see what we have been missing. Speaking to the men just for a moment, the people in your household could have something going on in their lives right now, but you aren't reading it well. Could be angry, could be dealing with something really angry, and you think that they need space. I'll just leave them alone. But what if you just said, you know, what's wrong? And they said, everything. (laughs) And you listened for a while, not trying to fix, not getting out your toolbox, not trying to repair, but just listening to hearts. People could be feeling neglected. People could be feeling ignored within your own household. It's possible to be the priest of your household and to be ignoring and neglecting the people in your household, just like the priest passed by on the other side. The priest was so busy, he didn't have time to stop. Knowing it was a busy road, perhaps he hoped that someone else would stop. So what happens next is the Levite, another religious person, very busy, also came. And the text would suggest he came so close to the man, he could see his true condition. And he passed over to the other side. You know, I like this show by John Quinones entitled, What Would You Do? I was watching one episode. It puts you in a situation. There was a, a woman at a bar, and she was with her gentleman friend. And when she went off to the bathroom, he slipped something into her drink. And the question is, what would you do? Would you warn the woman when she came back? Would you say something confrontational to the man? Would you ask the bartender to take away the drink? Would you do nothing? You say, I wouldn't be at the bar, Pastor. It's a hypothetical question. And then there was this one altercation of a man and his woman in the park, and he was getting physically rough with her. And the question is, would you just walk on by? Would you say something to them? Would you call the police? Would you try to rescue her? Surely the, uh, the context of this text is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we really love God, that will always be expressed with a love for our neighbor. Whether it's a love for our neighbor in our neighborhood, whether it's a love for our neighbor down in Haiti who's carrying his water, he's only eight years old, up a steep hill. He's fearing that if he drops the water, he spills the water, His family will beat him. It's the law of that little child. Whether our neighbor is in Bangui, Central African Republic, and mom and dad are dead because of HIV AIDS, and he has nowhere to turn, nowhere to take care of him, providing for him a school. Or whether it is a person in Thailand who's been sold into the sex trade 
because her family does not have enough money. She also is our neighbor. You see, the call to love your neighbor is a global calling upon God's church. You see, the first group was the pass-em-ups. The first group was the beat-em-ups. The boundaries were violated. The second group was the pass-em-ups. They saw the situation, and they passed by on the other side. They did not help the person in need. But no one would be expecting that the person who had helped this man was a Samaritan. You see, the Samaritans were the enemies. A Jew never talked to a Samaritan. They had absolutely no dealings with one another. Kind of like Walkersville and Middletown. They don't have any dealings with each other. I was at a rotary function this week, and I was sitting beside a person from Walkersville. He's also receiving a reward. And he, I said to him, I said, what do you think about people from Middletown? And he said, I think they're very interesting. <laughs> and I said, have you ever sat beside somebody from Middletown? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, you are today. <laughs> so I tried to engage this young man in a conversation, just blessing him and getting to know him a little bit. But it's like this um, enmity. You know, we don't talk to each other. A Samaritan and a Jew. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, bandaging up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And they put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return... I will reimburse you, reimburse you for any ex- extra expense you have had. I want to tell you, this would be like a Nazi soldier giving a cup of water to a Jewish prisoner. This would be like the Taliban insurgent sharing his bread with a wounded American soldier. Nobody expected what was about to happen. I presume now that the Samaritan was on a business trip. He was traveling from one city to the next. He was not traveling so fast he didn't notice. He saw the shadowy figure on the side of the road. He saw wounded humanity. Somebody was down and was hurt. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He felt compassion. We would say that he had an empathetic connection. This was not a person he could pass by. This was not a situation he could pass up. He knew intuitively his name was on this. You see, this man had business to do just like you have business to do. But the business of saving this man's life trumped his own personal business. And what happened next was an amazing story of a man putting aside his own personal responsibility to take responsibility in this man's life. What he did was he went into his saddlebag, and there he found wine and oil. Wine was an ancient antiseptic. He didn't have hydrogen peroxide or soap and water, but he had some wine. And what he did was he poured wine into that man's wounds so as to cleanse them. And then he took forth his oil. And oil was a salve, a balm. He took some olive oil and he poured it into that wound to soothe it. And then I don't know what he had in terms of cloth, whether he actually began to take his own clothing and stripped it or had some cloth he began to rip but he began to bandage this man's wounds. But he could not leave him beside the road. 
and he had a donkey. <laughs> now, ever since I've kissed Jeff's donkey, I've had a fondness for donkeys. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and the man got off his donkey, and he placed the man on his own donkey. And if he had a female donkey then, that was the pre- preferred ride, because it was a smooth ride, like a Cadillac. And he put the man on his own donkey, and he walked beside the man to town. It's a 17-mile walk to the inn in order to take care of him. And I've been asking myself all week long, what does it mean that he took care of this man? If he was thirsty, he gave him something to drink. If he was hungry, he gave him some bread to eat. If he needed to talk, he was available to process. So what just happened to him? Can you imagine what's inside this man's heart from having been beat up like this and injured and wounded laying beside the road? There was the injury of those who had done this to him, the beat-em-ups. There was the injury of those who had passed him by, the passerbys. He had a lot to process from his wounds of recent. And then what happened was he went to the inn and he stayed with the man for the rest of the day. He did what he could to take care of him. The Samaritan man had very good boundaries. He realized that he had a responsibility to take care of this man that trumped his own personal responsibility for business. But the next day, the man left to conduct his own business. But suppose the injured man wakes up and says to him, you're leaving me? And he said, yes, I have some business to do down in Jericho. I have to attend to. But suppose the Samaritan man begins, or the the man begins laying a guilt trip on the Samaritan man. Do you think you're being selfish? I really need someone here to talk to. You would abandon me in my time of need? Whatever happened to denying yourself? Suppose the Samaritan man was persuaded to stay. He says, you know, you're right. It would be uncaring for me to go. I should do more. I should cancel my plans for business. So he stands, stays with the man for three more days. And after those three days, there's a knock at the door, and a messenger comes and says, we waited for you to come, but we gave the deal to somebody else. And then the Samaritan man would explode, how could you do this to me? He screams at the injured man. Look at what you've done to me. I've lost the contract because of you. You put me out of business. How could you do this to me? All of us have been in situations where we've been trying to take care of somebody, but been manipulated to give more than where we've been willing to give. You see, what boundaries does, it defines who I am and what I'm willing to give within the time frame I have to give it. Jesus then says to the man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law who spent his entire life studying this said, the one who had mercy upon him. And then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. That's a word for the church, to go and do likewise. As God has shown mercy to us, let us be those who show mercy to others. Pastor Dan's going to come now and talk about a family and how to engage in an emotionally engaging way with our families. Come, Pastor Dan. Morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. 
I think before we go any further, I want all you fathers and grandfathers to stand to your feet and give us a chance to honor you. Let's give a shout out to our fathers and grandfathers. Come on, Kyle, you can get up, buddy. All right, sit down. That's all you get. Now, seriously, happy Father's Day. You guys deserve it for all you do. Getting up at dark 30, going down the road with that nasty commute and those uh, difficult people you work with. We really uh, respect you guys for what you do and the way you support your families and just the sacrifices you make every time you burn something in a barbecue and bring it in. Thank you. We appreciate that. Burnt offerings. I thought they went out with the Old Testament, but that's what I get for being a dispensationalist, huh, Mike? But thank you, guys. Hey, let me, let me ask you something. Are there differences between men and women? You buy it? A few? Okay, just a couple. How about between mothers and fathers? A few? Okay. Uh, here's the deal. See, mothers remember their kids' birthdays. They remember their favorite colors. They remember their clothing size. They know all about their girlfriends and boyfriends. Fathers have a vague awareness that there's some short people living in the house. Now, that, that's not fair, guys, is it? We're much better than that. We know their names. So we're really on top of it. Uh, but seriously, I, I, want us to, I want us today to, to think about what it means to be engaged in our, with our wives and our families and think through what that is. See, when we guys go to work, we're important people, aren't we? Some of us run million-dollar budgets and manage companies and people report to us and, and they call us with titles and sometimes they salute us. So we, we go to work and, and we're, we're very important and we have a lot of power. And then we come home. And I walk through the doorway of 246 Braeburn Circle, and I'm just dad. You see, at the office, I'm Dr. Haffey. And around here, I'm Pastor Dan, and I know what to do. But when I walk through that door, all bets are off, right? No one salutes me when I come in the door. I'm just dad, and I love being just dad. I want to be better at being just dad than any of those other things. But you know what? I don't have a lot of training in being just dad. See, I didn't get a lot of training. I think most of us missed that class on how to be a great father, didn't we? So I missed that too. You know, my own father was a workaholic, and he was a hardworking man who provided for his family, but he was old school. Okay? And his mode of dealing with things is wait till it's all built up, and then his head pop off, and he clear out six acres and scare us all. That, that was his, his way of doing things. And here's something I noticed, guys. When it comes to fathering, I see two models. One was my father's model where he kind of comes in and just loses his mind and leaves us all shell-shocked and then walks out. Okay, that's one model. That's, that's the beat-em-up model, right? And then over on the other side, there are fathers who come in the house and they don't do anything. They're passive. They're disengaged. They go sit in front of the television, stare into it, or they retreat to their man cave and their computer and play video games. That's a, that's a pass them up because they're passing up the life with their family and their, their wives feel like single parents. And those models aren't going to work, guys. They didn't work for us and they're not going to work in your families. What we need are a generation of engaged fathers who know how to engage emotionally with their families. That's what we need. We need fathers who know what's going on, know, understand where their kids are at, and are willing to ask those emotional questions. You guys do a great job of taking care of your families and fixing the lawnmower and getting those things done. You're super at that. And bringing home the bacon, you do a great job of that. But guys, how good a job do we do at knowing what's going on in our wives' lives? Let me ask you this. Do you think your wives feel comfortable coming and talking to you? Are they scared of what's going to happen next? Are you an emotionally accessible person? Are you open? Or are they afraid they're going to get jumped on? Or worse yet, you're going to get out the toolbox. Because all us guys have toolboxes, don't we? 
and they are chock full of good stuff. There's nothing I can't fix with a bigger hammer. And we've got our toolboxes. But many times, your wives don't want us to pull out the toolbox because our toolboxes don't have anything that's going to fix their issue because what they want is to connect with you emotionally. They just want you to hear what's going on in their lives. They might want to hear some of the frustrations they're having in raising your kids. We need to be there for them. We need to be able to hear that. And that's hard to do, isn't it? That's difficult. I don't think we have a lot of training in that. I didn't get a lot of training in that. And we have to take that toolbox and put it aside, don't we? But our, our, our women need this from us. And I'll tell you something else. As the marriage goes, so goes the family. Is that true? Every situation I've seen a part of, you start looking at what's going on with the kids, and you can trace it back to something going on in the marriage. Because we set the example, don't we, guys? As the leaders of our families, what we do is what our kids will do. And I'll tell you something scarier. The way you treat your wife is the way that your sons will treat their girlfriends and wives. That should be a, a little bit concerning to us. That, 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 I feel a real responsibility to treat my wife in such a way that my sons will, will follow my pattern and treat their wives and their girlfriends well, respectfully, and to love them wholeheartedly. That's the responsibility we got. Now, some of you guys are looking at me, traitor, we're supposed to have a great Father's Day and you're busting us out. I am not trying to guilt trip you. I'm not. I'm trying to encourage you. I, I want you to be the kind of father and husband that God wants you to be. He wants us to be engaged. He wants us to be the good Samaritans in our families and our wives' lives. So here's what I want you to do. I've got something for you to do right here because one thing that we've discovered is if we don't do it here, man, as soon as the amen comes, it all goes poof, doesn't it? Is that true? Yeah, it happens. I don't know. It must be in the air here. We're going to have to check the air in here because something happens because it just kind of goes poof and evaporates. So I want to do something here right now. I want you to think about this. In a couple minutes, I'm going to ask you men, you husbands, if your wives are here sitting next to you, and if they're not, I want you to do this later. I want you to ask your wives what you can do, what one thing you can do to bring yourself closer, be more emotionally engaged with them and your family, okay? The question is, what one thing, sweetheart, make sure you say sweetheart, okay? Or, or poopsie or whatever, or honey bun or... You pick whatever it works for you, but you know you got to slide that in there. But I want you to be honest and, and ask them bravely, bravely, guys. This is, this is brave things I'm asking you to do here, to step up and say, what one thing can I do to be more engaged with you and our family? I want you to be willing to do that in a couple minutes, okay? Now, ladies, I want you to identify this sound. Can you do this for me? Beep, 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 beep. What does that sound? Is that... He's got it. It's a truck backing up. Ladies, please don't back the truck up on your husband. I'm not asking you to back the truck up on you, okay? What I'm asking you is just to name one thing that you would like to see between you and he that would make your engagement, your emotional connection better. Just one thing. It might be something like more hugs or more physical affection. Some of us guys, you know, we're not all that huggy and fuzzy, are we? No. Right? And let me tell you something. If Pastor R can kiss a donkey, you guys can kiss your wives more often. <laughs> so we've got a new standard now. <laughs> All right? And you can hug your wives. Sometimes what my wife needs more than anything is not my advice from all my scholarly training. What she needs is a hug, an old-fashioned bear hug, and for me to hold her and tell her it's going to be okay. We're in this together. That's what she needs from me. 
You can't give too many hugs, you know that? Pastor Mike found that out. He's, he's a hugmeister. All right? Maybe she needs some quality time with you. Maybe you are just so busy being the guy that you don't have time to sit and spend time talking about what she's feeling, what's going on in her life, what's going on with the kids. Maybe she needs a half an hour of distraction-free time with the TVs off to talk to you about what's going on in the family. Stuff you don't even know. Do you realize that? Guys, when we walk through the door at the end of the day, we haven't been there all day. There's a lot that can happen in eight hours. Is that a true statement? Right? And sometimes look around the house and go, whoa, what happened here in the last eight hours? You ever had that experience? Stuff happens. And we need to be briefed in what's going on so I can get in step with where my family's at because I've been out and about. Give her that time. That's a gift, isn't it, ladies? That's a gift. Guys, I want you to be able to give that gift to your wife. Uh, Maybe she needs uh, some time away with you. When's the last time the two of you, sans children, okay, we love you kids, but you know what? We need to ditch you sometimes. And we just need to go hang out. Remember what it was like before you came along, because we have some good memories before you guys came along. I hate to tell you that. Just you and me, baby, because life changes when the kids come. Maybe you need to get back to that. Wouldn't that be a great experience just to get back to that? That's a gift, guys, you can offer your wives. Right? There's something she needs or wants for you. Maybe she needs some help around the house. Maybe she's overwhelmed with getting all the dishes done and the ironing done. I'm here to tell you my father was old school. He never touched a diaper. Okay? That's, that's the way it was. No diapers. That's women's work. Vacuum cleaning, forget about it. But my mom gave me a gift. She taught me how to clean because I was her cleaning buddy. So when spring cleaning came around, we were opening the windows. My mom was really fastidious about this. So we, we cleaned everything, took the place apart. All right, so I, I developed some cleaning skills, not a bad thing. But I did that, my dad didn't, and now I can do it around my house. So he, she gave me that gift. But maybe she needs some help. Maybe she needs uh, you to do some projects around the house. Maybe the place is falling down. Maybe there's, there's the batteries that need to be replaced and light bulbs. You can do this. Just ask. Okay? So ladies, don't back the truck up on him, but I want you to offer him one thing. And if you can't think of something right here this morning, I want you to commit to telling him sometime today... Sweetheart, here's something you can do for me that I'd really appreciate. Here's something that would bring us closer together. Here's what I need from you as my husband and as a father. There's something there. And maybe she can't come up with anything. Maybe you're doing a super job and there's nothing there. But I'm going to guess there's something she might be able to think about that would bring you guys closer together and have you more engaged so you can be that good Samaritan, so you can tend to the wounds in your family and not ignore them, not walk past them on the other side. All right, I'm going to count to 20 one by bananas, too. These are bananas. Count to 20 by bananas, and I want you guys to look at your wives. Start with sweetheart now. Check me out on this. Say, honey, you, you beautiful thing, the light of my life. What, find something that works for you there, and I want you to do this right here, right now, and I want you to hear what they have to say, okay? You ready? On three. Three. How you guys doing? 20, 20 <laughs> you know I'm going to get some nasty grams because I started a fight. You know I'm going to get those. 
Uh, I can take the hits. I can take that. I just want to see you guys have a dialogue. I am always surprised at how little emotional communication most couples really have. And I get that you're busy. I understand that. I have grave empathy for how busy you are. But guys, we can just be like parallel people going down the road of life, never touching. You know what? That doesn't work because something's going to derail that little parallel path you're on. And you're not going to be ready for it because you haven't started a dialogue with your spouse about what needs to happen emotionally in your family. When crisis times come, you don't have a... You don't have a communication set up in advance. I want to see you guys have a dialogue. And I want you to start it this morning. Anybody hear anything good? Anything be helpful? How, how many of you, how many of your wives said, Let's, I need a little more physical affection here. Come on, dude, give it up. I'll have a kiss. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, how many of you said, help me around the house, man, I'm dying. I'll show you how to use a vacuum cleaner. The dishwasher's got six buttons, come on. How hard can it be, Mr. Engineer? You know? Well, I hope you got something practical, because I want to be practical, because life is practical, right? We can talk about it in theory. But let me encourage you guys, too. There are a lot of resources out there. If you're not sure how to be a good dad, you're not sure what it looks like, just some, some tremendous resources. Focus on the family. has some wonderful resources. The men's fraternity are the men's groups that we have here at Grace. we got one starting in October. I'd love to have you guys come out for that. Make a commitment to being a better father. You know, we commit to our jobs, and we go to continuing education, and we do all this, but what is our commitment to being a better father, to growing as a dad? We also got some really good information on our own website here. It's under, is it under teens? It's under, uh, so those topics that I shared with my kids, I went through my journal and wrote them down on the list. And under uh, the youth website and the children's website, the parents' resources, you see that list of topics. It's just a place to get started. There you go, because sometimes we just need a place to get started. We just need the questions to ask. I love what Alec did with his kids. Wasn't that cool? Wasn't that inspiring? They'll have that for the rest of their lives. When they're off to college, they're going to remember those times with Dad. Okay, so guys, I want to encourage you. I hope I didn't bust you out too bad. I just want to encourage you to be the best fathers because I know that's what God wants, and I know that's the kind of people you want to be to. So let's pray for that. Uh, Dear Lord, we just thank you that you, as our Heavenly Father, are the perfect Heavenly Father. You're always there for us. You love us completely and totally and accept us. Lord, I pray that you'd be our model, that you would be uh, the example that we look to and that we, uh, we exemplify in, in our own lives as fathers to our children. Thank you for the love you give us. And Lord, I just pray a blessing on these men as they seek to be the most engaged and emotionally connected dads they can be so they can be a part of the family and really benefit from having that emotional connection with their wife and kids. Bless their marriages. I just pray that you'd, you'd grow them stronger, that they'd have that dialogue that would allow them to negotiate crisis situations in a way that would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.